You know, look at Job chapter 25, verse 6, where it says, how much less is man uh, who is a worm, the son of man who is a worm. Mm -hmm. Or Psalm chapter 22, verse 6, where it says, but I am a worm. Mm -hmm. So, um, so in a way, you know, maybe people don't like to think about being a worm, but, but those are, that's a scriptural term. Yeah. It's a scriptural image. So when you take that away, you're kind of taking away a little bit of, of, of scripture. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Monet Funka. And I'm Cairo Devereaux. And today we're interviewing special guest Chris Fenner. He's the creator and managing editor of Hymnology Archive. We will be continuing our countdown to Easter with him as we discuss Isaac Watts' hymn, Alas and Did My Saviour Bleed. We talk about Isaac Watts' significant influence on English hymnody, the importance of maintaining doctrine even if we tweak a hymn's lyrics, and the complicated history of the hymn tune. But first, we have a treat for you all this month. We will be celebrating Easter with a fun giveaway in partnership with moundbooks.com. Head over to our Instagram at himpartial to enter for a chance to win Man of Sorrows, King of Glory, what the humiliation and exaltation of Jesus means for us by John T. Rhodes. That giveaway is happening exclusively on Instagram. Also, before we dive in, in this week's bonus clip, we ask our guest an impossible question. Which Isaac Watts hymn is his favorite? Alas, did my savior bleed? Or when I survey the wondrous cross? But only newsletter subscribers will get to see that content first. So if you're listening and you haven't signed up, go over to himpartial.com and do so today so that you don't miss out on next week's bonus question. So we've been using Chris Fenner's website for a long time yeah. and it was great to be able to actually talk to him. Mm. He's a really, really smart man, knows a lot of stuff. Mm. It's just really exciting. It was like being a hero. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the things I really liked about our conversation was that he talked about um, when people add choruses to hymns mm. and he wasn't against it. And he gave some excellent advice on how to do that in a way that kind of maintains the tone and the message of the hymn. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good combo. I loved how passionate he was about a certain error that certain hymn editors make when they uh, transpose our hymn for today into their hymnals. Uh, I won't spoil it for you, uh, but I do think you'll enjoy the conversation. As we said, this is our countdown to Easter. I personally think this makes a fantastic Good Friday song, um, but really we could sing it all year long because Christians, we celebrate Easter every Sunday. But without further ado, here's the interview. Chris Fenner is a hymnologist, archivist, and church musician. He holds degrees from Western Michigan University, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary School of Music, and the University of Kentucky. He has served as a teacher and church musician for several congregations and is currently music director at Green Street Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He has published articles for The Hymn, the journal for the Hymn Society in the U.S. and Canada, and edited The Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs of Isaac Watts, Spurgeon's own hymn book, and Amazing Love, How Can It Be? Studies on Hymns by Charles Wesley. In 2018, he developed hymnologyarchive.com, a scholarly website for the study of hymns, a site that he still manages and writes for 
today. Chris Finner, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, we're really excited to have you on. Um, we do recommend your website, Hymnology Archive, to any of our listeners who want to find out more about various hymns. It's a great resource, and we're really thankful for what you do with that. Yes. Thank you, that's very kind. So, today we're talking about Alas, Did My Saviour Bleed, which was written by Isaac Watts. Could you give us kind of a quick overview of who he was and tell us a bit about his significance to the church? Okay. Yeah, Isaac Watts was an English uh, congregational minister. He was born in 1674. Uh, he was raised in the congregational church, al although at the time, from what I understand, they would have used the term independent. Um, but, but he was raised in that tradition and... Uh, and, and that means he was uh, outside of the Church of England and would have been considered a dissenter at the time. Um, but he, he became a Congregationalist minister. He was a, a brilliant man who, from a, a very early age, showed an incredible aptitude for many things, including languages. Um, and as an adult, he was a prolific writer. He wrote books about logic and about science and about English, English language. Um, but of course, today he's known mostly for his hymns. And uh, he's significant because um, the, uh, the, the great hymnologist Eric Routley called him the liberator of English hymnody. Hmm. And that's because uh, prior to Isaac Watts, um, since, since the Reformation, so beginning around the, the mid-1500s up until the time of, uh, of when Isaac Watts, Watts started to write hymns in the year 1700, for about 150 years, um, English worshipers sang almost exclusively metrical psalms. Mm. And there, there, there had been some rumbling about this in the late 1600s when Isaac Watts was young. Um, people like Benjamin Keach were trying to argue for uh, including hymns in congregational worship. But Isaac Watts really was, even though he was not the first English hymn writer, and he was not the first person to be an advocate for singing hymns in in congregational um, in, con in uh, con congregationally. Um, he is he's considered the liberator of English hymnody because. He was the first person to really break through that barrier to yeah. get people to sing in church. And, uh, and of course, his own hymns were immensely popular. Mm -hmm. And so he, he really opened the door to people who would come after him, like the Wesleys, like uh, John Newton, William Cooper, and mm -hmm. Steele. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that is why he is significant, because he, he ushered in the change from this strict um, reliance on metrical psalms into an era of writing and singing English hymns. Mm. Yeah, and that's, that's really incredible um, because I think for a lot of, particularly the American church, that seems like such an intense um, uh, historical fact, the fact that so many churches for so long only sang the metrical psalms, whereas it's such a rare thing in a lot of American churches to sing the psalms 
really at all. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. obviously, I think there is kind of a resurgence of people really keen to do that. But I am grateful for people like Isaac Watts who really, um, who, like you said, ushered in this, this, this hymn writing that has been so beneficial and I think so edifying to the church and really paved the way for many, many hymn writers after him to do, to do just that, to edify the church through their, through their words. So we want to talk, we, we are kind of, we're thinking about Easter real early this year, or maybe not. I think the Catholics are, they're celebrating too, right? It's Lent. <laughs> it's Lent, um, so people are thinking about it. People are thinking about it. Um, and I guess as a way of encouragement, we wanted to start kind of talking about some hymns that really do reflect on, um, you know, the the week leading up to and the day of Easter Um, And so we have this hymn that we're talking about today, Alas, Did My Savior Bleed, written um, at a time when Christians only really sang psalms, as we were talking about, um, and a few New Testament songs, really. So what is the significance of this particular hymn in its original cultural context? And and why do you think churches should keep singing it today? Uh, Right. Well, putting it back in its original context, this, of course, was... Um, revolutionary, really, because um, this and, and this fit into Isaac Watts's argument, which was if if people are only singing the metrical psalms, then they are not having New Testament doctrines on their lips when they sing, because it's incredibly difficult. To, to sing about New Testament concepts or Christian concepts like baptism um, when a person is only singing the Psalms or the cross. Now, granted, there is Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So there are, you know, small um, prophetic glimpses of the cross in the Psalms um, or, or take a concept like communion. So, so I, his concern was, if we're only singing the Psalms, then, then how, are, how are the people in my congregation and other congregations going to have a well-rounded uh, New Testament uh, training and doctrine if they're only singing the Psalms? It just doesn't work. So he felt like people, people need to be singing about these other New Testament concepts, baptism, cross, communion, and, and uh, grace, and so many other things. Um, so, so he wrote his own hymns to fill in that gap, and this is one of them. Uh, so, so at the time, the, the idea of, of singing such a strong and powerful hymn about the cross, that was brand new to a lot of people. So this, this was a big deal back then. Mm-hmm. Today, you know, we, we, I suppose we take it for granted because we have so many great hymns about, about the cross, but at the time, it, that, that uh, repertoire was very limited. And if people did have hymns about the cross, they would have only um, read those in their devotional time at home. They, they would not have sung those at church. It's mm. really interesting. I remember maybe last year reading his treatise on psalm singing. I can't remember the exact title, but it was about, um, yeah, he made those points about um, singing about the full range of Christian experience, which we can't necessarily get in the psalms. 
And I think I remember he paraphrased some of the Psalms and people weren't very happy about it because he um, brought in some of the New Testament stuff. Right. Yeah. And, and that was part of his work, too. So not only did he write uh, brand new hymns, uh, but he also transformed the Psalms. And, and there his argument was that the Old Testament has to be interpreted through the lens of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So if we're singing the Old Testament Psalms without the benefit of um, interpreting them through, through New Testament doctrine, um, then, then something gets lost. Mm. You know, people are not, they're again, not getting a full uh, diet of doctrine if they're singing from the Old Testament without the benefit of understanding those texts um, through the transformative lens of the new. So, so he, he did write his own uh, metrical paraphrase of Psalms, but his goal there was, was to infuse those Psalms with New Testament language and New Testament ideas. Mm -hmm. And his book was called uh, The Psalms of David Imitated in the Language of the New Testament. And that was published in 1719. Yeah. With this hymn, it's, it's great to know the cultural context and its significance. I hadn't quite grasped the full weight of it, but why do why should we keep singing it today when we have so many other songs about the cross? Uh, well, we can and we should keep singing it because it is very well written. You know, even though it was written 300 years ago, it still speaks to our condition now. Um, the, the, the doctrine... Uh, behind the hymn has not changed, and a, a lot of people still believe uh, the message of this hymn, so people should still sing it because it still fits. That's as good a reason as any. The doctrine's <laughs> still good and the words are great. <laughs> um, Cara, so, why don't you do us a favor and read us the lyrics? Um, if not, I could pull them up because I just realized that for some of our listeners, they might not know. Of course. Uh, just a second and I'll pull it up. Yeah. I've got Do you want me to read the whole thing? Oh, oh yeah, go for it. it. If you've yes, got it, go for that's it. That's even better. <laughs> yeah, so this was first published in 1707. And then two years later, he issued a revised version. Um, so I, I, I will be reading from the revised version, uh, 1709. But it says, and this is the version people usually sing, or, or at least maybe somewhat adapted. But this is the 1709 version that says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Hmm. My body slain, sweet Jesus thine, and bathed in its own blood, while all exposed to wrath divine, the glorious sufferer stood. Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when God, the mighty maker, died for man, the creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes to tears. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. I really, really like those words. Yeah, it's such a good hymn. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so 
having read it, what are some of the most important themes and features in this hymn? And were there, you mentioned there was a revision, were there any significant changes in the lyrics over time? Sure. Um, well, let's start with just a basic overview of the text. So it starts from the perspective of the writer who is uh, looking at the cross in amazement mm. and sheer humility and thinking, who am I that the savior of the world would die for my sake? Mm. Um, and, and we hear those sentiments um, sometimes in other hymns and in other places. You know, I, I think of uh, Charles Wesley who wrote, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my savior's blood? He writes from that same position of, of wonder and amazement. Mm-hmm. Who am I? Or, or you think even maybe if David wrote, who is man that, that God is mindful of him? Yeah. Um, who, who are we? Who am I mm. that, that the Savior of the universe would hang on a cross for my sake? So the writer is coming from this perspective. We see that especially in stanza one and, and, and also in stanza three. Um, where the writer asks, was it was it for my crimes that I committed that he's doing this? That's amazing. That's incredible. Um, we also get a little bit of um, of narrative perspective where the writer is trying to portray what's happening. So we get that we get a little bit of that in stanza two, where it speaks about um, the body of Jesus uh, being covered in blood. And, uh, and being subjected uh, to wrath. And then we get some more of that in stanza four, where it talks about the darkness of the crucifixion mm. and, um, and, uh, and Christ, of course, dying on the cross on behalf of humankind. And then, and then the, uh, the personal perspective returns again in stanzas five and six, um, where the writer, especially in, in uh, stanza five is uh, is tearful, but but tearful in thankfulness. Mm-hmm. This is involved my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes to tears. And then the fifth stanza leads right into the sixth, where it says, "But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe." Mm-hmm. So it, you know my uh, all, all of this weeping and 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 happiness and emotion. Um, it's it's a wonderful, but nothing can ever you know, make up for this incredible gift. That's what the writer is saying, mm-hmm. and, and, and at the end, at the end, the writer says, "All I can really do is give myself. Mm-hmm. Everything I have is give give myself. That's, that's the best I can offer." Mm-hmm. I really like that verse. <laughs> it's great. You asked about revisions. Yep. So, um, so a, a few things. Generally, um, hymnal editors will tend to change or alter. Uh, you have, for example, in the first stanza, um, the last line, for such a worm as I. Mm-hmm. For some reason, some hymnal editors um, don't, don't like um for people to be thought of as worms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when I was growing up, uh, we always sang, would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Now, those words are fine mm. and, and they're right, but what if we lost 
when we take away the original text. Well, um, for example, I'm going to put in a little plug here for another book. This is um, this is a book called Repeat the Sounding Joy nice. by David W. Music. And in this book, um, Dr. Music uh, writes analytically okay. about two dozen hymns by Isaac Watts. It's a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. Dr. Music points out two scripture references related to related to that that idea of, of humanity being a worm. So, so Dr. Music says, well, you know, look at Job chapter 25, verse 6, where it says, how much less is man uh, who is a worm, the son of man who is a worm? Mm-hmm. Or Psalm chapter 22, verse 6, where it says, but I am a worm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in a way, you know, maybe people don't like to think about being a worm, but but those are that's a scriptural term. Yeah, it's a scriptural image. So when you take that away, it, you're kind of taking away a little bit of 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 scripture. Really, I mean, what are you yeah. hiding? Um, so that that alteration to me it seems unnecessary. Mm. We we were talking about Man of Sorrows last week, and there were some similar points where. Um, it was just things like instead of saying guilty and vile, they said sinners just like us, lost and helpless rather than guilty and vile. And there was nothing theologically wrong with what they were saying, but it was that softening of the mm. lyrics to make it a little bit more comfortable. Mm. Right. Yeah, and I think, um, I, I know sometimes, um, sometimes when we think about issues of mental health and self-esteem, you know, there, there might be some value in, in, um, in, in cribbing some of that. Like, for example, I know there's a hymn by Charles Wesley when he speaks of, he, he uses the term worthless, mm. but that's often um, softened a little bit to say unworthy. Mm. Um, so I, I, I think maybe there is some room for, for not being too harsh on ourselves, maybe especially for people who, who really do feel like you know, like, um, I don't know, suicidal or, or like genuinely, genuinely, genuinely do feel worthless. Um, but at the same time, it is scriptural. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I mean, there's, there's no real, there's, there's no doctrinal reason to change it. Let's say that. Yeah. And I think, but to your point, I think, yes, it, it, it is in scripture. So, you know, we're just, we're just, reflecting on the text in hymns like this. Um, but, you know, the song doesn't end with you being a worm. You know, it, it obviously, the, the, the journey of the song, speaking of how great a sacrifice this was for our Savior to bleed for us, it actually, for the person who is struggling with feelings of being worthless and, 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 and feeling like nothing and that there's no one to advocate for them or should advocate for them, you know, the hymn, along with all of scripture, says differently. So mm-hmm. I think it is, there is like that holding up that truth to say, yep, we are guilty and vile and worms and, and worthless and all these things. But that's who Christ died for. Like, what a savior. Like he, you know, he's managed to make something that was nothing something like we came from dust and here we are you know so i do think there is usually that juxtaposition in in hymns like this where you actually see what a great sacrifice it was for you and if you're if you were struggling with self-esteem 
wow, like how amazing is that? You know, that's that Christ died for you. Um, right. And, and the text ends with thankfulness, mm-hmm. yeah. thankful devotion. So it doesn't leave us in a place yeah. where mm-hmm. rotten human beings. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think you're right. Another common change happens in stanza four. Uh, there's a line where it says, when God, the mighty maker, died. And I think some editors are concerned about confusion in the persons of the Trinity because they, they wouldn't want people to think God, the first person, died on the cross. So sometimes sometimes that gets changed to say, when Christ, the mighty maker, died. And I, I think that's intended just as a little bit of clarity mm-hmm. in terms of the persons of the Trinity. Yeah. Although, of course, we, we believe Christ is God and he's part of the Godhead. So, again, there's nothing specifically wrong about that, but but sometimes editors think well, we can just make it a little bit more clear. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's fine. Um, and then the line after that, uh, for man, the creature's sin. Of course, we live in a day and age now where uh, most editors try to avoid uh, generic masculine language where we we use the term man or men to represent all of humanity. Mm-hmm. So that, that often what times will get changed nowadays. And it might say something like for human creatures and which makes it a little bit more inclusive or broad in terms of our representation of humanity. Um, so there's that. Um, but one other, I, I think particularly egregious editorial mistake <laughs> sometimes people make. And I, and I, I, I witnessed this when I was growing up because mm-hmm. in, in our Baptist hymnal, for some reason, the editors had left out the fifth stanza where it has those lines, dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes to tears. Well, those lines lead into the last stanza, but drops mm-hmm. of grief can never repay. So the problem is if you cut out that fifth stanza, and you've lost the setup for the last stanza. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, when I was growing up, we had no idea what we were missing, and we survived. And it was we, <laughs> we sang it with great, great enthusiasm, and it's yeah. still a nice thing. But but realistically, if if you know better, mm. you know if you know better, if you're a scholar mm. and you know better, mm. then you shouldn't take that out because. <laughs> Because those two things go together, you know, yeah. that the, the one thought carries over into the other. So mm-hmm. uh, it, to me, it's a really strange omission. But there's also a lesson to, uh, to worship leaders, music directors. If you're going to sing this in your church, it makes more sense if you sing the last two stanzas together mm-hmm. so that, that that thought flows from one to the other. Mm. But sometimes people, they get in a hurry or they get in a rush and they say, well, we'll just sing the first and the last. <sighs> yeah, but, yeah, but but when you do that, you've broken the flow of thought in what the writer was trying to convey. Yeah. So that's, yeah. That's, just, that's my little admonition. <laughs> all the music well, it's like if you say, can you summarize yeah. a story, but we're in a hurry, so just tell me the beginning and the ending and forget about the middle part. <laughs> right. Like, it makes no sense. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm looking at our version that we sing, and it only has five verses, but it definitely has 
the um, melts melt my eyes to tears line in verse four. So I'm wondering if we're missing verse two. Yeah, I feel most, like the rest yeah most hymnals will cut out uh, verse two. And and uh, an interesting thing there, uh, when Isaac Watts published his collections of hymns, sometimes he would recognize, okay, this, this thing I've written is maybe a little too long to sing all at once. And so he would, he would put brackets around the stanzas he thought were suitable to be omitted. And, and that, that was one of the stanzas he marked really? to say, if this hymn is too long, you can cut this one out. So people do. <laughs> Well, that's so great. He, there you go. You have you have permission from the author. There, we have permission. We have the we have the right edited version in our in our hymnal. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, does this hymn have a set tune? Um, and and if it does, could you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Um, this hymn uh, traditionally is sung to um, two different tunes. I've used both in my career. Mm. Um, and, and they're both very nice. Um, one is called mar martyrdom. And, uh, sometimes it's also called Avon or it might, go, might go by some other names, but most, but, but most commonly it's called martyrdom. Mm -hmm. And that's a Scottish tune, um, by a Scottish composer named, uh, Hugh Wilson. And that was first published around 1825. And it's a really lovely tune. Um, the, the other tune, uh, oftentimes used is a gospel tune and th that one has a more complicated history um it, it's usually credited in hymnals to a man named ralph hudson but that's only partially correct mm. um ralph hudson wrote the music for the stanzas for the verses um but he did not write the music for the refrain, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. That's not Ralph Hudson. Oh. Uh, so that refrain is based on an old American song called Take Me Home. And the, the lyrics to that song went, take me home to the place where I first saw the light, to the sweet sunny south, take me home. That song was written by what my notes here to be sure I'm telling you correctly. Mm -hmm. And all of these gory details are on my website. So yes. you can play it, okay? Um, yeah, but that, that song called Take Me Home was first written by W.L. Bloomfield in New York um, around 1853. Mm. And then in 1864, another guy named Herman Schreiner rewrote the music. So the music for that refrain actually comes from Herman Schreiner. Mm -hmm. um, now, but, but now we're still, we're still having that, that original text, take me home to the place. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so how did we get from take me home to the place to at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light? Mm -hmm. um, we don't know exactly who, who made that conversion, but, uh, but we do know it was, uh, it was being used by the Salvation Army in oh. England in the early 1880s. So that, that, that gospel refrain, um, which, is, which is a parody of this other American song, <laughs> the, <laughs> this, this gospel refrain 
it, it comes from uh, from the Salvation Army in England, and then it was popularized also by the Salvation Army uh, in the United States. So that that's where that comes from. Okay, so for all of you hymnal editors out there listening, <laughs> let's, let's get this straight. So the words to the stanzas are by Isaac Watts. Mm. The music to the stanzas are by Ralph Hudson. The music of the refrain is by Herman Schreiner. And the text of the refrain is by an unknown Salvation <laughs> Army person <laughs> in England. So under by, it should say, the byline should say various. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um, I've only ever sung this to martyrdom, which sounds yeah. like the simplest option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, yeah, I don't think I've sing, sung the gospel one, but just hearing you sing it there, I'm like, well, maybe I've heard it. Yeah. Maybe I've definitely heard it, but not. it's not been something that I've sung at a church um, that I've either attended or been a part of. Yeah. And, but and it sounds like a good one. We, we'll definitely have to link a, a, that version in the description for our listeners because... Um, we're we're old like you know we're old school we just do martyrdom <laughs> yeah. it, it is very popular um i will say sometimes people complain about it because uh the refrain says um at the cross for, at the cross where i first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith i received my sight and now i'm happy all the day but sometimes people think um Sometimes people don't don't like that refrain or don't care for it because they think, well, the text is so serious. The text of the verses, of the stanzas is so serious. Mm. How do we get the end and sound so cheerful and now I'm happy all the day? Mm. Um, so some people don't care for that. But I, I think, honestly, a lot of that comes with, um, with, with how it's performed. Mm. Because if, if, if the music is performed at a sprightly tempo mm. where it's all... Um, upbeat and jovial, then yeah, I suppose in a sense you're you're minimizing the the gravity of of the verses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't want to do that, but 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 it can be done at at a nice tempo um, where it does still carry some gravity, mm. and and you can still see, you can still sing the refrain without making a joke of it. Mm -hmm. um, because, because again, you know, e even in the original text, we said, um, yes, a lot of it is serious, but at the end of it, it's still, it, it, it ends in thankfulness and yes, devotion. Yeah. So, I mean, there's nothing particularly wrong with having a line at the end where it says, now I'm happy all the day. Um, but there's, there's kind of a, a happy medium in terms of tempo and performance with that particular tune, um, where you don't want to sing it too fast and too sprightly to where you're demeaning the text. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it, it still can be used in a very, um, in a very serious and thoughtful manner. So there's, there's no reason to just throw it out because, because some people sing too fast. That's just the problem of the performance. Not, yeah. not, not really a problem with the tune itself. Yeah. I know Cara has a lot of strong feelings about refrains, but I won't put her on the spot. Well, <laughs> Now, now we're talking about it. Maybe that's my issue. Maybe it's Maybe. not the refrain that's the problem. It's the the fact that it doesn't match the song. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, sometimes. I'm okay with some refrains, but some of them just seem so disjointed. I think if Shane and Shane are going to add something to the song, then I just have to love it because it's Shane <laughs> and Shane. <laughs> I mean, they have the voices of angels, so just I, let's go with the how refrain. Can you go wrong with Shane. Sorry. Great. How, how can you go wrong with Shane exactly. and Shane? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, right. come on. Come on. Well, we're going to have you stick around for a bonus question that is just for our subscribers at first. Um, but before we go, uh, is where can people find you? Where's the best place to follow you and your work? Well, well obviously, you want to see my website, hymnologyarchive.com. Yes. That's where I put most of my work. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's the most obvious place. I, I do have a Facebook page, and I'm not great about posting things there <laughs> but i do i do sometimes post updates there um in, in fact i probably will put this podcast up there how about that hey so, we'll yeah. accept it we'll accept it well thank you so much chris for your time this evening it has been so wonderful to talk about this hymn and its author with you um and like we said quadruple plug if you haven't go to hymnologyarchive.com and check out all the wonderful scholarship that's there it's so much there and like we said we use that site all the time even for this show it's a wonderful tool for the church and we thank you so much for coming on tonight and giving us a little bit of of that thank you for having me